This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. And we are a very happy duo today because Albion last night turned in probably their performance of the season. Probably one of the performances, one of the best performances in Albion side has, has turned in for many a year, to be honest with you, to beat Leeds United 1-0 at the Hawthorns. An absolutely rocking Hawthorns as uh, as as well, Pete. I mean... Before we get into the actual game and analysing the performance, and obviously, like the data is what we do on this on this podcast, but there was the tangible intangible because it's it is tangible because I mean, you, if you wanted to get a, a decibel meter onto it, you could measure it. But the level of noise, the level of atmosphere at the Hawthorns last night was, I would go as far as to say, I have not experienced an atmosphere that good at the Hawthorns for a non-playoff game. I don't think I, I that it was it genuinely was that good. It was absolutely outstanding. The the fans I felt especially in that last 15 minutes dragged the team who were absolutely exhausted. I don't think there was anything left in the tank. They've played all played a lot of football in the last few weeks and I felt that the fans dragged them over the line. Corbram put a um, a post out on his ex account uh, last night, pretty much acknowledging as much that the supporters played a huge part in that victory, and that, that that's the best atmosphere he's experienced in his time at the club. And he also went on to say that you know you did you got us over the line. We needed we needed that energy from you. I, you know you've just got to you've just got to feel. If we could, I know it's not easy because not everything is Leeds United at home under under the lights. But if you can recreate that atmosphere, game in, game out, because the Hawthorns 
it can be a bit flat at times, especially when Albion are building up slowly from the back. The fans haven't always fully got on board with that, whilst, although I think most are coming round to it now and understanding the reasons why we do it. But if if we can have that atmosphere, or at least even 60-70% of that atmosphere for the rest of this season, I think it's going to be worth an extra few points. I think I think it was the difference between one point and three last night because I think it would have been very easy for any player to have made a tired mistake for fatigue to have got the better of them last night. And I think the fans energised them and got them over the line. And I think that's been acknowledged in a number of the post-match interviews that the players and management have done. And I just feel like we as supporters need to recognise what a massive, massive part we can play in our season. I genuinely think we earned two more points last night by being an unbelievable supporter group. And I think if we can do that more throughout the season, I think we will finish the season with more points than we will finish with if the Hawthorns goes back to being a little bit flat and a little bit quiet. What do you think? Absolutely. Firstly, the performance on the pitch for the play- of the players was terrific and so was the support of the fans, um, especially for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of the game when it's back, back to the walls kind of stuff and we were just defending our own box. It felt like the noise level of the f- levels of the fans and the support they were showing really dragged the players over the line. And I think I think Grady said it in his interview after the game as well that it made a huge difference um, and it really kind of pushed the players on to to keep hold of those three points and, and not drop to just one point or, or even no points. I think the fans were massive in that game and for the rest of the season can be as well. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, there was so much everything. It was like the perfect storm last night, wasn't it? It was like the the fans were amazing. The players were amazing. It all came together. The only complaint I have, Pete, is... Can can the club fix uh, fix the clock on the stands? Because there's no way that second half was 45 minutes long. It felt like two blooming hours. Yeah, especially the last last 10 minutes, like I said before, is when we were basically just defending our own box. I kept checking the time because I was watching at home. And yeah, every minute seemed to take about five minutes to pass. Um, but the players held on and, and we got there. So And without too much doubt, I'd say as well. Um, obviously, I was very nervous watching it, but... Under previous managers, I think I would just be waiting for the team, the opposition to, to break the defence and get the goal. But last night, despite being nervous, I felt fairly confident that we're just extremely well de- well drilled defensively and couldn't hold out and see games out. And it's a really nice feeling to not to not have that almost expectation that we're going to concede. We'll come to the bigger picture on that in a, in a minute, Pete, because obviously there's a bigger picture in terms of how... We are after scoring the first goal under Corbran and how good we are defensively. Uh, and there's also the bigger picture in terms of how individuals performed to get us that result. But you're absolutely right. And I want to build upon what you've just said there, because I thought <laughs> and I've, I've normally generally got quite a lot of respect for the opposition managers who come to the Hawthorns, because I think after games, OK, managers can be a little bit spiky sometimes, but generally, I, I think I think most of the managers I've heard in the post-match have, have generally given a reasonably fair assessment of uh, of the game. I thought Daniel Farker talked absolute garbage after the uh, after the game last night. He came out with some utter, utter rubbish. First of all, he he's banged on about a penalty that they should have had on Nonto. I wanted to see what 
the Leeds United highlights made of that. So I didn't watch the normally on YouTube before we do this, this pod, I obviously rewatch the highlights of the game because I only get one look of it, look at it in the stadium in the Birmingham road end. So I want to have a look at it from multiple angles and everything like that before we start the pod. And I thought, and normally I watch the, the highlights on, on the WBA channel today. I thought I'm not going to do that because if there's a penalty incident, we won't put it in. I'm going to watch the highlights on the Leeds channel. Well, if that's such a good penalty shout, Daniel, why hasn't your own highlights package put it in? Because it's not in there. It's not in there. Um, so, um, first of all, I'm openly dismissing that out of hand. Also, he banged on about, he made a comment in, in the written press conference about um, how Darlow could have hung his shirt up in the second half. I mean, basically suggesting that it was defence against attack. Well, let me put it this way, Daniel. If that's true... Why is it that um, Alex Palmer had zero shots on target to uh, to save in that second half and Carl Darlow was the one who actually had to make a save from Adam Reach? Over the course of the game, Albion created 1.36 xG. Leeds created 0.96 xG. That's, the, that's only the fourth time this season that Leeds have um, created less than one XG in a game. Birmingham, Southampton and Sunderland were the other games. Just for clarity, that's Birmingham in the John Eustace era, not the Wayne Rooney era. So we're in pretty good company there because Blues were a pretty rock-solid team under uh, under um, uh, under Eustace and obviously Southampton and Sunderland certainly at times have both had good seasons. So only four, only four times this season, including last night, have Leeds had under one xg so we won uh, we won the xg battle we also had more shots on target three to uh, three to one and we dominated that first half 1.19 xg to 0.53 xg nine shots to seven two big chances to zero i mean first of all i don't really know what daniel farker expects a team that's one nil up at half time to come and do in the second half why on earth we would risk what we've got and go and chase the game when there's no reason to, for us to do so whatsoever. But also, he's just completely deluded, isn't he, Pete? If he thinks that his team had the better of that game and deserved more from it, because they absolutely did not. Not only did we win the game last night, we were the better team over the course of the 90 minutes. We created the better chances. Here's another one for you. Leeds didn't create a single chance that had an XG value of above 014 in the entire 90 minutes yesterday. So they didn't create a single big chance, a single chance worthy of the name big chance. There's not, there's not, there's not a, there's not a single chance that even once in every five times would have gone into the back of the net. So they just didn't create any big chances whatsoever. And we did. We created a couple of big chances, largely from uh, set plays, but also um, Jed Wallace's delivery from the right-hand side, which once again was absolutely tremendous, which is where the goal obviously comes from. And we obviously had one on the break where Adam Reach just can't get quite enough on the lob over um, uh, over Carl Darlow to, to, to put it past him. We were the better side. We thoroughly deserved our win. And let's not have it that this was some sort of... Albion grabbed a uh, grabbed a goal with their only uh, with their only shot in in the game, and then were extremely lucky after that. Not that's absolute rubbish. Whatever narrative, and I imagine that there's an element where Farker is 
probably a little bit panicking for his job a, a, a bit because they've had a bad run over Christmas. They're now miles behind Leicester, Ipswich and Southampton. We're only three points behind them. So they're looking more like, should we worry about our playoff place rather than should we worry about chasing down the top two? And I imagine he's deflecting a lot because the bottom bottom line is his team were beat and they were beat by the better side. Yeah, we were definitely the better side on the night. Obviously, it was two different two different games for each team because once we got the goal, we we were happy to sit in and defend our box and keep our defensive shape. We weren't too bothered about trying to attack. Um, I think if there was a moment to, then obviously we would, and you know, like we broke away for Reach's chance, but we weren't going to commit tons and tons of men forward when it was unnecessary and in a situation where you risk not being able to get those men back because, despite defending our own box really well, we still pressed at at times and. You'd find the fullbacks even pushing right up to the final third, even when we didn't have the ball, just to try and pin them in their corners at times. But we were doing it in a way that we knew we'd get back into position, and Leeds weren't in a situation where they could ca- where they would counter. And I think something that sometimes goes unnoticed was the the work that players did off the ball. Um, like when we were trying to press high, uh, there was one point where Townsend was right up the pitch, and despite Leeds having the ball fairly late on. And after Leeds kind of went around us, they played from from their right side where Townsend was pressing them to their left side and kind of played around the press a little bit. As soon as that happened, you see John Swift, who was a little bit deeper than Townsend whilst we were pressing, he sprinted right straight away back into the, the left-back position to cover to cover that wing whilst Townsend got back. So I think just the teamwork and the willingness to cover for your teammates and it's the understanding yeah. as well isn't it Pete it, it's it's understanding what's needed in any given moment i i've noticed this a lot that players cover play the one that i absolutely love which which has been so noticeable to me over over the last few weeks is when Kipre is normally the one who goes out to win the win the first contact whether it's on the ground or or with a header and as soon as he does that Bartley sweeps in behind him just to give him that 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 shield that if he doesn't win the challenge that there's a man behind him and and we do that so much whether it's whether it's a fullback going and a midfielder dropping in or or whatever we're just we're a real team but the the level of understanding Corbran has got into these players is unbelievable isn't it yeah and it's positional understanding rather than just knowing which positions on the pitch need to be covered rather than just you know, knowing that you're a left back, so you cover the left back position. John Swift knew that Townsend had pushed up high to to help press, and that once Leeds had gone round us, and our left back position is going to be a bit open because Townsend's so high up the pitch. He'd already put in a lot of yards in the first sixty, seventy minutes before that had happened. And to be fair to Townsend, he's not the quickest, so Swift dropped in, um, didn't allow Leeds to exploit that weakness for those couple of seconds, and. And then moved out of position and back into his central mid position when, well, he might have been playing striker at that point even, um, but moved back into his position once Townsend had made the recovery run. So it's just a sense of um, understanding where you need to be on the pitch and even in the build-up to the goal as well. Um, we had two or three players outside of their traditional positions, the kind of positions you'd see if when Sky Sports do the graphic of the lineup. Um, I think Malumbi was essentially playing as a right-back. Furlong had made a run inside playing like an attacking midfielder and those two things opened up the game for, for Jed Wallace who you usually then slotted through. So understanding that you can rotate and as long as we've got the right positions filled in, it doesn't matter too much who's actually filling those positions. You've mentioned it there, Pete, so let's talk about the goal. I mean, 
there's a few things that I, I want to highlight on it. First of all, you said it on the last pod. Why doesn't Jed play on the right all the time? I mean, he he played on the right again last night. He was absolutely tremendous. We'll come to his numbers more broadly in a second. But let's just talk about the, uh, the the goal. I have to say the interception for from Connor Townsend, which leads the goal. Um, you need you need to watch the the clip that Albion have put on their uh, on their socials rather than the highlights. The highlights starts from the point where um, the ball goes into Yukoslu. But if you go back a little bit further, Townsend makes a brilliant interception to win the ball back after having been dispossessed himself. I'm not going to hide from that fact. He was dispossessed, but he goes and he win. He gets back into position. He wins the interception. We recycle the ball. It goes into Yukoslu. Yukoslu plays a wonderful threaded through ball. I have to say the defender from Leeds is criminal to give Jed Wallace that much space on that right-hand side. And then the ball in from Wallace is brilliant. The first effort from Dean Garner is well blocked. But I have to say, the, the, comment, the commentary, for anybody who's watched the YouTube highlights, the commentator says something along the lines of, as the ball came back to Dean Garner, he couldn't miss. I'm sorry, you're talking garbage. That is not an easy chance. It's coming at him extremely quickly. But he controls it just, I mean, it's not off a, a normal viable part of his leg. It's almost like off his shin, but he controls it into the back of the net. You can you can see he knows what he's doing in that moment. I wouldn't have wanted anybody else in that position because I'm not sure there's many players with the technical ability to control that ball into the net at that moment in time as it comes at him so quickly. But the speed of thought from Dean Garner is is fantastic. So I thought there was I thought there were some brilliant elements to that goal, Pete. I thought that the interception from Townsend is superb. I think the through ball from Yokoslu is unbelievable. I think Wallace, those cutbacks have become such a threat over the last couple of games, as have the late runs into the box from midfield players, which against Norwich was largely swift, but last night it was Dean Garner arriving late into the box to have the shot. And then I think the controlled finish from Dean Garner when it comes back to him is underrated, um, probably from the from from what I've seen. Yeah, the goal was almost perfect really, wasn't it? Start for the finish, like you say, it's definitely underrated. It's to be able to re- react that quickly and, and put it in. I thought it was incredible. It was almost a really frustrating moment because I think Leeds had already cleared two off the line before that and it looked like they were going to have another one. But luckily, Grady could react quick enough and put it away. Um, yeah, OK, probably owed us that through ball after the after the one he skied over because that was a big, big chance, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a sitter, really. But the, yeah, go back to the ball through from Yukushul, was was perfectly weighted and just with perfect accuracy as well that Jake could then get the cross in when he wanted to. And the the way that Furlong moved inside um, and dragged the the fullback with him, um, I thought is just completely vital to the goal because without that movement from Furlong, the opening would have never been there for you because we'd slot it through to Jed and the fullback almost forgotten had forgotten about where Wallace was and and the threat that he posed after following Furlong inside. Um, so I suppose that's really highlights the use of having these fullbacks that now push so high up the pitch, but also invert and take up space in the middle of the pitch rather than just staying wide. And I mentioned before that Malumbi was there, wasn't involved in the the move, but I think he'd got, I think it was Somerville that had kind of come back. He got Somerville's attention, um, which also stopped them picking up Wallace, um, but he was also covering in case we lost the ball. So everything right down from the the movement, the timing um, up to the finish was just absolutely perfect. And it's 
it's one of those goals that well, it feels like we'll see a fair few of them this season if Wallace continues to play it on the right because his ability to cross a ball and pick a man out is is second to none and we're basically going through the whole team and credits and everyone here, but that's just how good a goal it was. Even Tom Sassante made a very simple run towards the goal. Defenders follow him and then it opens up the space behind him on the penalty spot. So if Tom Sassante can keep doing that and we can keep finding these cutbacks and Brandon's runs are creating this space in the middle of the box for players like Swift and Dean Garner, then you know I'm, I'm very happy with that and I'm not too bothered if it's not going to Brandon and we're not having the striker score at the end of the day. It doesn't matter who puts the ball in the back of the net. I just want to dwell on Jed a moment, Pete, because, I mean, he's had an unbelievable week, hasn't he? I mean, he was he, he was tremendous against Norwich. I thought he was absolutely fantastic again against uh, Leeds. He had the most carries, the most progressive carries, the most take-ons, the most successful take-ons. He had the most shot-creating actions, but he also and he also had the most crosses. And he, but he also had the second most loose ball recoveries as well, equal with uh, with OK in second. We'll come to the player who had the most in a minute because I'm going to give I'm going to give that player his own his own section. But I mean, Jed Wallace there, the work rate is unbelievable. Like the the he he's he's created so much for us. He was he was our creator in chief, as it were. He's but also winning the ball back is absolutely massive for us. He's winning it back further up the field for us as well, which is which is absolutely huge. And I just think the week he's had, he is so much better on that right hand side. For there's not there's not a doubt in my mind about that. And I and I feel like he's got to play there. I feel like I feel like we had this conversation last season, Pete, when Mark Albrighton came in and it and it was a bit like Jed Wallace ended up being the one who got inconvenienced for a while in a desperate attempt to accommodate Mark Albrighton, which ultimately didn't work. I just feel like we've got to get the best out of Jed Wallace week in, week out, because when when we do, he's unbelievable. He creates chances for people. And we have got these we've got so many of these players that are really, really good at this late arrival into the penalty area, whether it's Grady Dean Garner, whether it's John Swift, whether it's someone like Jason Malumbi even coming in late, or even at times the fullbacks arriving in late into into the penalty area as well. We've got we've got players who can do that, and having Jed Wallace over on that right hand side means that that they can get picked out. And I I just I just think it's so important to get the best out of him because he's he's a massive player for us. He's a he's our leader. The, anybody who saw him at the end, he came towards the Birmingham Road end and just roared like a lion. It was you know, it was there was nothing, there was nothing fake about it. There was nothing, there was nothing put on. This wasn't a oh I'm a captain, so I better make a big show of this. That it was all from the heart. It was true passion. Watch the highlights. The second the final whistle goes, he jumps on Grady Dean Garner, hugs him uh, on the bench like. The guy cares so much and he he brings all that to us, but he brings such quality as well. But he brings the quality more so when he's on that right hand side. And I, I thought he I think he's had a magnificent post Christmas period, Pete. I think the, it's massively come from him being more on the right hand side. And I just think we've got to keep Jed doing what he's doing. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think everyone knows what his biggest strength is and that's. That's his crossing and having him play wide right is where he's going to be able to cross the most. I understand Corbran wants balance to his side and, and he likes to change things game by game, but 
I think when you've got Jed Willis out on the wide, wide right, then you've got one of the best crosses in the league, and it's a shame not to use it because the way he's playing at the minute, especially, he's just picking out picking out players in the box with almost every cross. And I'd never understood people. That, I always say a few claims that he just kind of whips it into the box in hopes, but I've never seen that to be the case with Wallace. It always seems to be he's trying to pick out a man. Obviously, you can't pick out a man every time, but to me, it always looks like he's got something in mind. It's not just, you know, putting it into an area and hope that somebody gets onto the end of it. Well, he has—he doesn't just have the most crosses, Pete. He has the most completed crosses as well, which is an important distinction to make. Yeah, and he creates a lot of chances from those crosses as well. So I think when he's playing out wide, it's that's when you're going to utilise his his best skill the most. So for me, I, I think that's where he should really be. He should really stick, and that's where well, that's where we get the best out of him. So that's where he should play in my head. I'm sure Corvan sees it with a bit more complexity to that, but. At the minute, he just seems to be absolutely brilliant every time he plays out on the right. I mean, Jed, I thought another big part of Jed's performance was showing the maturity to go down and admit when he needed to come off as well. And I thought there was so much leadership and strength in that performance last night. There was Jason Malumbi seemed to pick up an early injury and there, there seemed to be an indication from the bench that he might be coming off. And then he runs over to the bench and I think he basically just takes a couple of paracetamol and goes back out there, which I think tells you everything you need to know about Jason Malumbi. And you wouldn't have known any difference in his performance. Jed admitted when his race was run and when somebody else could do that job better than him and sat down and came off the came off the pitch he knew that it was a game where one percent could just make a massive massive difference and then you look at your Koslu as well I, I didn't see this but I've had enough people say this to me to, for me to believe this was the case that after the lead substitutions apparently your Koslu was screaming at the touchline for three centre-halves and Corbran very much uh, very much obliged and then you've got the leadership from the manager to make those changes but you've got the you've got the leadership on the pitch for the players to immediately understand what is needed of them I think I think it all comes from the manager but it it just it just amazes me Pete that we went from a situation not two seasons ago not even two seasons ago where I think we sat and did a pod and said there's no leaders in this team there's no there's there's no big characters there's no the, the who who on earth is marshalling these team this team who is who who's getting the best out of them on the pitch we didn't feel there was any leadership from the from the touchline we didn't feel like steve bruce was changing things in game he was generally getting out thought by opposition managers we were sticking with the same tactics for 90 minutes and we weren't adapting in game when there needed to be adaptation i mean it it couldn't be further from that now. We've got a we've got a manager in Corbran who works his socks off during the week and makes sure that the players don't just go into the game knowing what their game plan is, but also go into the game knowing what things they need to adapt in game to be successful. If the opposition do this, you do this, or this is how you play one, two, three different formations all within the same game. Every, the, the, it was seamless. When we slipped into three centre-halves, it was seamless. You, there wasn't any confusion for a, a, anybody. Everybody knew exactly what the, what their role was. You've got leaders on the pitch. You've got Jason Malumbi wanting to run through brick walls for the uh, for the, for the the team. You've got O.K. Koslu barking instructions to, uh, to the manager because he knows what the team needs on, uh, on the pitch. You've got Jed Wallace putting his ego to one side and admitting... 
my race is run. And John Swift did the same on uh, against Norwich as well, admitted when his race was run. And I think that's really important because how many times have we seen that in in the past where a player stays on? Oh, no, I'm going to I'm going to carry on even though I'm injured and then gets caught out because of it. It's all ego. You've got to admit at times when your race is run and Swift did it against Norwich. Wallace uh, did it against Leeds. It's it, it's as important if you can stay on there like Malumbi did and still and nobody notice any difference in your performance. Fine, no problem. But Wallace and Swift realised that their levels were going to dip in those games if they stayed on the pitch. So they asked to come off. And that's important as well. I just think the level of leadership, of understanding of what is needed from them is phenomenal at the moment. And I think and, and, the, and every single one of them last night gave everything for that shirt every shirt i feel i feel for the the person who has to wash them because i bet they were all ringing last night because they they all worked their socks off there wasn't a there wasn't a single player who took anything back into the dressing room they all left it out on that hawthorns pitch we we started doing this podcast pete when uh when valerian ishmael was was manager or it was around the time that ishmael was about to be about to be sacked i think and we just we just complained time and time again for probably about the first 12 months of doing this podcast lack of leadership lack of mentality lack of passion players not players not giving enough for the shirts it all comes from corbran at the end of the day but he has just turned all of that on its head and now we've got a team that embodies everything that I want them to embody. I don't know about you. And I, I, whether we finish fifth, second or 15th, God forbid. And I don't think we I don't think we will. But at least this is a team that I can be proud of, regardless of what results they pick up between now and the end of the season, regardless of uh, of, of what position they finish in the league. I just feel like this is an Albion side that I can connect with, that I can believe in, and that I honestly believe when I pay for a ticket to go and watch to go and watch these guys, that they are going to give me everything. And if they don't win, they don't win, and that's not that that doesn't matter. I think people are way too results focused in football nowadays. I just want to see a team go out there and give give everything for the shirt and if they do that and they lose i'm not going to smash them i'm 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 not going to come on on here our platform to talk about the albion and i'm not going to slaughter players who i feel like have given their all for the shirt the only time that i've criticized them really in a heavy way all season was after middlesbrough when i didn't feel like they they'd given their all for the shirt but looking back on it now there's potentially a bit of a bit of sort of exhaustion in there but I, I just I'm so proud of this team and I'm so delighted that we've got a team that to support that I feel shows leadership mentality, but it all comes from the manager, doesn't it? Yeah, it def- definitely comes from the manager. You just have to watch Corbran on the touchline, barking orders and jumping around and there's so much energy there and I think that passes on to the players. But at the same time, behind the scenes, there must be so much analysis of everything and insight that he gives to the players that they also take on board. So you can't imagine... For example, Yukuzlu, um going over to the, the bench and, and saying that we need another centre-back on. You can't imagine that would happen if the management team don't pass on that kind of insight and teach the players to understand the game and, and to feel what the game needs rather than just the manager being completely in, in control of that. I think you need that kind of leadership and 
um, people to take control of the situation because what whilst the the manager can see whilst Cobran can see everything that's happening on the pitch, I don't think he can see it or feel it as well as people that are that are in the action and and like Yukushlu going over and saying that we need that that centre back and it worked perfectly. I think Bartley came on and, and did a terrific job, really showed up the defence when we're in a bit of a a rocky patch of the game and it looked like Leeds were really starting to get on top and maybe threaten us a little bit more. But after that change, it felt like we were, we were steady again. And despite having Leeds coming at us for the for the next 20 minutes or so, we, we still didn't really look like we were even wobbling. Um, so to have that independence and leadership to, to say that we need, we need a change to your manager, I think is brilliant. And you mentioned Jed Wallace um, saying that he needed to come up to come off as well. At the end of the game, the way he was moving, and luckily it didn't look like it was too big of an issue. Hopefully not, because obviously he's a key player. But I think he knew as well that he's he's a key, key player to everything we want to do. And there's no point risking a longer-term injury when he knows that we've got players on the bench that are able to come on and, and do the job that he's doing. But to be fair, probably to a better extent after he picked up that injury. Um, so it's it's really good to see players taking control of the situations and, and showing leadership on the pitch. Whilst we've also got clearly got a brilliant leader on the touchline as well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And being so ready for the game, Pete, because I just want to give a nod to Adam Reach. Those are the the first minutes he's played post-injury. And for him to come onto the pitch and be as disciplined as he was to contribute the way he did. He nearly got the second goal. You know, unfortunately he just didn't get quite enough meat on the, uh, on the shot, but I thought he, he gave us, he gave us a threat going forward, but he dropped in brilliantly. I, I had a look after the game and I saw people on social media, the amount of them going, oh, why not fellows? Why reach? Why reach? It, like, I'm sorry, but you know, you've, you've got to appreciate who Tom fellows is. He is a young enthusiastic direct player and if we were chasing the game absolutely you bring Tom Fellows on but not in that situation you bring on somebody who is experienced who is disciplined who can go out there and give us what we need but for him to be able to go out there in the first minutes that he's he's been able to play in a competitive setting since a really nasty injury in pre-season that you know has laid, laid him out nearly until the new year I just thought was was phenomenal, and I know he gets I know he gets a lot of, a lot of stick, and I know he's not everybody's favourite player, but I think he I think he deserves a mention because he didn't just come on and be out there. He came out came on and did exactly the job that was required of him, and I thought he was I thought he was superb, and I'm just 
look, I could single out any any one of them, and there's there's a couple more that I want to talk about before we finish today's pod. But the reason I'm singling uh, Adam Reach out is because it just is not that easy to do that when you've been out as long as he has. We've we, we saw Swift come back from a much shorter injury the, the other week and look completely rusty. Look, look miles off it. We've seen players come back and take a few weeks to get back into the stride. And I thought for Adam Reach to come into a game after being laid, up, laid out since August, to come back into the team straight into a game of that tempo and turn in that performance is is well worthy of a mention for me. Yeah, he was brilliant, um, as was everyone that was stepped foot on the pitch for Arwin. But obviously it's much more difficult when it is your first minutes back from such a long injury and you're coming into such a intense game when you're not going to see too much of the ball. You're not going to get the comfort of playing a few simple passes as soon as you step on the pitch and, and playing yourself into the game. You're going to be thrown straight into the deep end and have to keep alert, keep your defensive discipline. You know, I imagine that's a, as a professional footballer, I imagine that's a lot more tiring and tasking than a game where you can keep possession for a little bit you can play passes where you're not really under pressure um coming into a game and just having to have 100 percent focus on who's my man what position should i be defending and just staying completely alert like that is is really hard and probably the situation that he found and reach found himself in was very different to any situation that you can have create in training um because you're never gonna have that kind of pressure on you when you're doing any kind of defensive drills and training um which makes it so much more difficult but he stepped in completed his task to almost perfection just like basically everyone else and yeah putting a, a great performance and i can completely understand why he came on ahead of tom fellows like you said you take experience and a bit more discipline um over energy and excitement and directness so i think it was definitely the right change and we're quite lucky that over the time in that Rich came back because that was the exact moment that we needed him. I think we've talked about it before. If we want to play as a, a left wing back, then he's probably going to be our Matt Phillips replacement if we want to go revert back to that shape. But for that kind of situation that we found ourselves in against Leeds, he was he was basically the perfect replacement for Jed Wallace because he's got that experience. Um, he knows how to defend and he's just got a, a good understanding of the game because of that experience and um, also... He's also willing to go forward if we need him to, but he's not desperate to, to go forward and he knows when we need to keep the ball. So um, he's going to be a really useful player to have, I think, in the squad, even if he's not starting every game. I mean, things are very promising. He came on and put in, put in a great performance. So I think everyone can be happy and encouraged with that. We've talked a lot about minutes so far today. I just want to emphasise this point, Pete, because we are a small squad. We are stretched by injuries, particularly in certain areas, in forward areas. A lot has been asked of this squad over the last few weeks. And I think it's worth emphasising that, you know, what Corbran has asked of this group is not easy. Look at the minutes that people have played, whether that's Furlong, Townsend, Kipre, Mowat, Yukoslu, Wallace, Diangana, Brandon Thomas Asante. These guys have played a heck of a lot of minutes all the way over the uh, over the Christmas period. And to be able to turn out those kind of levels that they did against Leeds having played that much football when let's be honest right Leeds United have a way bigger squad than us they can rotate their players way way more I you know I haven't got the Leeds 
player numbers to hand, but I will I will wager that they don't have eight players that like the likes of which or seven eight players the likes of which I've just rattled off there who have played as many minutes over the over the last um, couple of weeks as those players have. We've asked a lot of those players, and we came up against the side who probably along with Southampton and Leicester probably have as many options as anybody in the division and can change their players when uh, when when they need to and we were at better levels than them and i think i just think i think it's worth noting that that is phenomenal to be at those levels after having played so much football that a number of the players in the squad, like I say, there's a few that have come in and out, whether it's, you know, Sarmiento, Swift has been ro- rotated, Malumbi, obviously Ajayi was uh, w- was playing and he hasn't played played a lot recently. So, you know, there's three or four that have rotated, but there have been seven or eight within that squad who have pretty much been mainstays since the Christmas period started and have played almost every minute. And yet, you wouldn't have known it watching the Leeds game, would you? No, yeah, and that also comes back to what I mentioned before of how tiring it must be to have to focus so much and see so little of the ball towards the end of the game because playing that many games and playing that many minutes and over the Christmas period is obviously very tasking on your body but must also be tasking on the mind. And to survive that Leeds barrage for the last 20 minutes I think is really impressive because all it would have taken was one player to, to have a little moment of losing focus and Leeds could have been in and scored but everyone kept that focus and kept the defensive shape and we we saw the game out with relative um, comfort in the end Um, obviously very nervous but relatively comfortably Um, so yeah it's just really impressive the way that the players have have put in that many minutes and are still playing with so much energy and so much focus when we need them to as well Um, is yeah it's huge credit to everyone involved and well, you could name most of the squad because it doesn't change too much week to week. I was going to say, I was going to single out single out Brandon because we don't have any other fit striker at the minute, so he's having to play almost ninety minutes every single game. But to be fair, a lot of the squad is is doing the same and equally deserve credit. We've got, I mean, yeah, most of the squad doesn't change. You, well, when I look at the starting lineup, I tend to be surprised if I see a change in the back four. Um, obviously, Ajayi came in for Bartley and. Which, I which I have to say, I thought was was a brilliant change when you look at how Leeds tried to expose us with those balls over the top. Yeah, that was the only real threat from Leeds. I thought was the the balls over the top of the defence and to have somebody's with somebody with a jive pace is to make those recovery runs for the balls playing over the top is really important. And he made a brilliant challenge in the first half where he was chasing. I can't remember if it was Somerville or Nanto back um, or maybe in Ruta, but whoever it was, it was a great recovery and slid in and, and won the ball. But Corbran's obviously done his planning there and, and made a, a change based on the opposition that we're playing and he got it spot on. But generally, the squad doesn't change too much week to week. Going back to the overall defensive performance, Pete, and I just want to I just want to talk about a couple of a couple of individuals. Um, and let's look, let's start off with 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 my man of the match and. <laughs> I, I, re- I strongly invite your thoughts on this, not least because there will be there, there will be people who will be audibly rolling their eyes in their head. But let me back this up. 
my man the match by a mile was Connor Townsend. I thought he was unreal. And let me and let me say why, because I know there is this building narrative that I have some sort of fanboy love for, for Connor Townsend. It's not that I I'm just obviously seeing something that some other people aren't, because I just think he's generally pretty good. And I, I thought he was a lot more than pretty good against Leeds United. He won the most tackles. He made the most tackles. He uh, also uh, made the most tackles in our defensive third. He also recovered seven loose balls, which is the most of any player on the pitch. And he also made the second most progressive passes. So he's winning tackles. He's winning tackles in important areas. He's winning the ball back. And then he's playing it forward in a progressive fashion. I mean, what more do you want from a fullback than that? Not only that, but they, they ended up having to bring Nonto off because he was getting no change out of Connor Townsend. They bring Dan James on to replace him and he still gets no change out of Townsend. He nullified two of the best wingers in the division. Let's, I mean, let's be clear about this. Willie Nonto was a guy that Everton were pre- prepared to pay a really hefty sum of money for in the in the summer. And in the end, Leeds just kind of went, put their foot down and said, no, he's not going. But there was Premier League clubs lining up to take Nonto. He's an Italian international. He is nobody's mug. And yet Connor Townsend absolutely back-pocketed him on the, uh, the other night. And then they bring on Daniel James, who Manchester United signed for an awful lot of money. And again, Welsh international, absolutely no mug, caused us all sorts of problems when we went to their place earlier in the season. Unfortunately, in the pair of shorts that Connor Townsend was wearing, there was there was a pocket on each side. So he just went and took Dan James into the other pocket and went, there you go, son, I'll let you out later. He He absolutely mugged off two of the best wingers in this division and Leeds got nothing out of us on that on that side and I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean you just have to look at Leeds' squad and there's you know they're stacked with Premier League quality players, especially in the attacking areas um and the wide areas and the both fullbacks did brilliantly to stop them. You mentioned Willie Nonto, he didn't create any kind of chances. He had an expected assists of zero. The amount of the number of progressive runs that he completed um, went down from his average this season being 4.48 per 90 to just one against Albion. And he had half the number of touches in penalty area, as he'd usually have. And this was in a game where Leeds were dominating possession. Um, I know Leeds doing a lot of their games, but I think in the second half, it was something like 80% possession to Leeds. So you'd expect him to, you'd expect the attacking players to have fairly good numbers. Um, but Connor Townsend just did such a brilliant job. Nonto was was just not really much of an impact. Didn't have too much of an impact in the game. I think again the the main threat that he posed was runs in behind when he started running, coming inside with his runs towards the the goal, and that was kind of when he was passed on to the centre backs. But either way, the centre backs then dealt with him dealt with him fine when uh, those balls were played over the top. So I think Connor Townsend deserves massive credit, and so does Darnell Furlong on the other side because he he didn't have an easy job either with uh, Somerville running at him. No, absolutely not. I mean, for me, uh, Pete, Crescentio Somerville, as much as he's um, uh, he's a cheat, that one where he lay down for for, uh, for ages and uh, trying to get the game stopped, and then um, uh, and uh, and then got up as soon as there was any suggestion the trainer might come on, uh, was absolutely abhorrent uh, to me. I, I feel like uh, I feel like the, the officials should force the trainer on 
to a player if a player stays down that long um, and make them go off for the 30 seconds. Because clearly, if they can hop back up the second the, the trainer is suggested, then they're faking it, basically, as far as I'm concerned. But for me, putting aside the moral issues I have with uh, Crescentio Somerville, he's a phenomenal player. And again, for... Darnell Furlong to have dealt with him the way he did. And actually, when you look at, um, whilst Crescentio Somerville uh, actually completed quite a lot of dribbles, when you look at where he completed them, the majority were coming on, uh, coming inside. I mean, these guys were, these guys were actively, Nonto, James and Somerville, they were actively trying to get away from our fullbacks, weren't they? Because they, they couldn't deal with them. Yeah. And again, you mentioned his dribbles, but, Somerville's dribble success rate was 43% against Albion. His average for the season, 53%. So, again, below average. His expected goals against Albion was 0.2 um, for the his average for the season, 0.41. So he was about half of what he'd usually produce. Um, it was a and similar that 0.2, story. I would imagine, is predominantly the, uh, a shot from 20 yards as well, which is the one that Palmer uh, punched away in the first half. Yeah, and it's a similar story for his expected assists as well. Um his average for the season for 90 so far has been 0.34. Against Albion, it was 0.2. So we're looking at one of the very best wingers in the championship and his creative numbers and goal threat numbers are half, half of what he's averaged for the rest of the season, which is huge credit to well, it's the whole of the defence, but especially the man who he was you know, head-to-head with, which was Darnell Furlong. To keep him that quiet, he's done absolutely brilliantly. And I think he deserves huge credit for that because... There's not many. There's not many fullbacks in the championship that can have such a good game against, like I say, one of the best wingers in the championship, and not only one of the best wingers, but some of the best attackers alongside him as well. It's not as if he's he's playing with players that he's having to carry. He's got Jorginho Rotter that Leeds signed for thirty, forty million or something um, last season, and Perot was fifteen mil. Perot as well, one one of the best strikers. Bamford, England international, coming off the bench. Yeah, you can just keep naming them. Um, well, it's ridiculous, isn't it, Pete? Because at some point in the game, we had to face Somerville, Nonto, James, Perot, Bamford, and Rutter, and yet they created they didn't they created 0.96 xg in a game, having thrown all of those weapons at us. Yeah, it was unbelievable the quality they had off the bench, and we, we've already spoken about it. But when Albion switched to the back five, it made such a huge difference because for the twenty. 25 minutes, I think, before um, before Albion made their change to counteract Lee's change. I think it was on the 69th minute, so 25 minutes before that, which was essentially the first 25 minutes of the second half. Albion's centre-backs didn't have any defensive actions in their own um, box. The only defensive actions there were weren't even defensive actions. They were aerials in the opposition's box, so from corners or set-pieces. Um, but for the 25 minutes after Albion's change, we had... We had three aerials attempted and two interceptions. So obviously Leeds were posing a much bigger threat because and causing defenders having to, to deal with these things. But the change worked and we dealt with, with Leeds' threat and the centre-backs did a, a brilliant job after that. So it's just, I think it in any game, if if we hold out like that, it's it's a brilliant job done and the defence deserves huge credit. Well, the whole team, um, Corbran loves to say that it's not just the defenders aren't the only defenders, it's, it's a team effort. But when you look at Leeds' squad and the the starting lineup and the players they can bring off the bench, it just you know it just really increases the amount of credit and um, praise that the defence deserves. 
Yeah, and I mean, when they did get a shot away, it seemed like Cedric Kipre was in the way of absolutely everything, Pete. Seven blocks. And I mean, it just goes to show how this season we put our body on the on the line and we just don't allow anything to get through. I mean, the the only player that you could genuinely say in in the whole game who, you know, you, you'd struggle to give a really high rating to is, is Alex Palmer, just because he didn't have anything to do, which tells you everything that you need to know, really. I mean, he literally had to make one save, which was a 20-yard effort from Crescentio Somerville in, in the first half. He didn't have to do anything after that, really. And I just want to talk pivot to the wider point on this, Pete, because this isn't the first time that we've gone 1-0 up in a game and that you you and I have sat here and highlighted that when we go ahead in a game, we just don't give the opposition an opportunity to get back in. We don't give them shots. We don't give them shots on target. And I mean, even against even against Norwich, where we did we we gave them one shot, and Alex Palmer has to make a wonderful save. But it's so few and far between when we get ourselves into a leading position that we actually allow the opposition back in we're so good at shutting games down we must be the worst team in the entire championship to concede the first goal against yeah we seem to be able to um to just shut games down as soon as we take a lead especially at the Hawthorns it's not I mean at least against Leeds we saw we just kind of shut shut up shut didn't create too much ourselves afterwards um especially well in the first half we did but in the second half we we were more focused on defending but we got this ability to just yeah, close games off as soon as we take a lead. And um, the other promising thing about that is that we're one of the best teams in the league for scoring the first goal. Uh, there's only there's only Leicester and Southampton that have scored the first goal in games more often. So not only are we really good at shutting games down once we take the lead, we're also pretty good at actually taking the lead and scoring the first goal in the game, which when you've got Corbran as your manager, he just seems to be able to, to adapt to any changes that happen in the game and and read what's happening in the game so well and understand it is a really promising stat to have because he just seems to be able to, like I say, just just close these games off and really limit the chances. And it's not like we're, we're asking Alex Palmer to get us out of trouble um, in these games that we take the lead. Very often he doesn't have much to do. Yeah, that's just credit to the defence, credit to the, the whole team. If you're keeping clean sheets and your goalkeeper's not making many saves, then, then every other part of your defence must be pretty perfect. And long may it continue, Pete. And let's hope that after back-to-back 1-0 wins, that we can carry that on the road away to Swansea on New Year's Day, a team that's not having the best of times. But as as we've highlighted already on uh, on today's podcast, um, we're asking a lot of the current Albion squad because they're, they're having to play a lot of minutes. But let's hope they can find that that bit of uh, bit bit of energy to get them through and maybe maybe just get another result on the road against Swansea. We will be back to talk about that game after it has uh, occurred. We will uh, either be recording on uh, on uh, on uh, late on New Year's Day or possibly on on the second. Not quite worked out the scheduling uh, yet, but we will, as I've said before, bring you a pod from each of the um, each of the Christmas games. Which, uh, frankly, over the last week or so, I don't think uh, Pete and I have been uh, minded for one second interrupting our leftover turkey to talk about the last. Couple couple of games so uh, as I say let's hope the, the boys bring us as much festive joy against Swansea as they have done since uh, Christmas Day occurred but until then um, well uh, before 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 I go as well obviously this is the last pod of 
2023. And I just want to say a big, big thank you to everybody who has listened to us. Um, uh, and I, I was I was amazed and delighted as well when uh, when uh, Spotify gave me the um, uh, gave me the listening numbers to see that actually we were quite a large number of people's most listened to podcast uh, over the course of 2023 as well, which which, which I have to say is both delighting and moderately worrying that uh, that um, that you listen to Pete and I above everything else but nonetheless we thank you so much for your for your commitment to the, to this podcast there would be no point in us doing what we do if we didn't have wonderful listeners we also love the fact that people tweet us ask us stuff um ask us to speak about stuff on the pod and as we go into 2024 i just want to encourage everybody Please feel free to do more and more of that. If 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 there is stuff that you want us to look at, if there's stuff that you want us to run the numbers on, the stuff you want us to talk about uh, on uh, on the podcast, this is not a one way conversation, and we would be more than happy to look into anything that you are intrigued by. So please, obviously, give us a follow on X at Albion Analysis and drop us a message anytime you want there's something that you think you'd love to see the numbers run on and and we uh, we will gladly do it and look if the numbers simply aren't there we won't you know we're we're not going to uh, create them out of thin air we we gave an honest assessment of of the fact that there wasn't enough numbers the other week um, when somebody asked us to look at Albion without John Swift and we just said he hasn't missed enough games to really assess that and we will be honest about it we'll always be honest we won't ever be misleading with the numbers but yep just drop us a message if there's anything that you want us to to cover but thank you so much for for listening to the pod throughout 2023 please stick with us in 2024 and hopefully 2024 just brings so much goodness for for West Bromwich Albion we've ended 2023 in such a strong way let's hope that the results continue to come as we go into 2024 and hopefully as well that the new year brings new ownership a fresh start for the club and hopefully we can start looking forward in a really really positive manner and I don't think I think we're all amazed at the turnaround that has occurred throughout 2023 because when we when we finished 2022 whilst we we obviously began the Carlos Corbran era I don't think any any of us would would have imagined us being able to think so positively about 2024 as a year it was a worrying time at the end of 2022 and now we're finishing the following year with just a lot a lot of hope a lot of hope you know real belief back in our side and as i say long may that continue but as always and for the final time in 2023 thanks for listening and lock the baggies Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNuggets share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.